0: jerry bingham host of the hush loudly podcast founder of the hush loudly brand as always you know i'm here talking about introversion finding ways to amplify our voices finding ways to encourage and empower us Uh, so welcome to ready or not so much introverts return to the office Thank you to Chicago State Foundation, again, for co-hosting and allowing us to use your platform to talk about this important, relevant, and timely topic. So in March of 2020, um, we all, many of us who traditionally worked in the office five days a week, um, were forced to work from home due to shelter-in-place orders because of this mysterious virus that wreaked havoc on everyone. So we have lost lives. Um, The economy has suffered. Uh, We have been through a lot in 2020 with that pandemic, as well as the pandemic with social injustices and racial injustice. Um, But through it all, many of us were fortunate enough to have jobs where we were able to work from home. Um, We were still getting our paychecks and our benefits, and it was quite an adjustment. Um, for many of us, especially those who had families and kids who were uh, now in school from home, uh, we had our spouses who were also working from home and then for single people like me, it was fabulous. Um, but for many of us introverts, I think that we found that we, there was a lot of enjoyment in working from home. And so now 15 months later, um, we are being asked to come back into the office. Um, Many employers are quite eager to get us back in the office, and there's some anxiety, there's some fears, um, not only about the virus, but just some questions about if we were as productive or more productive working from home, why do we need to return to the office? People's priorities are different. We've all adjusted to this new normal. And so um, I'd like to talk tonight about that. Uh, There's something that's called the Great Resignation. I'm reading about this happening now where people, their priorities have changed, their values have changed. They no longer want to work uh, in the same way, and so they are resigning. Um, There's no mention of personality type, but I'll bet it's a mix of introverts and extroverts. Um, But that's why we're here today. So if you're anxious about returning to the office for any reason, whether it be your discomfort with COVID or just because you prefer to work in your own home where you control your stimulation, your lighting, your contact with people, your sounds, your noise, uh, we're here to talk about that. And we welcome your questions in the chat and we'll try to get to as many as possible. Uh, So first, I'd like to introduce our fabulous panel. I'd like to start with Christina Steed. She is an Executive Vice President of Client Relations with Flower Communications Group, an integrated marketing communications agency headquartered in Chicago. She is primarily responsible for business development, client relations, and external marketing for the agency. Christina has been featured in PR Week, PR News, PR Newswire, and Rolling Out. She's also a podcaster with her podcast first over 40 and also she is currently serving as vice chair on the board of chicago state university foundation our next panelist is cynthia pong she is an award-winning career strategist speaker and author of don't stay in your lane the career change guide for women of color cynthia is an nyu trained lawyer turns career coach She's on a mission to get women of color the money, power, and respect that they deserve. The creator of the Embrace Change Leadership Accelerator, she has been featured in NPR, HuffPost, CNBC, and more, and is a LinkedIn top voice for job search and career. Next is Darius Hillman, who I call Pretty Boy. Darius is Executive Director of the Chicago State Foundation and has lead accountability for advancing the interests and welfare of Chicago State University through partnership development, stewardship of university assets, and identification and solici- solicitation of financial support from individuals, corporations, and foundations. A graduate of the University of Michigan, Darius is the essence best-selling author of the novels Five Dimes and Devalicious and the anthology Mad Love. Our next panelist is Kenny Dominguez, a workplace culture strategist and career coach for Black women and other women of color introverts with over 10 years of leadership experience in people operations, HR project management, and she is a certified mediator. She attended University of California Hastings College of the Law in San Francisco, concentrating on work law and social justice. Kenny was cited in multiple press pieces, including HuffPost, Apartment Therapy, Washington Post, Rolling Out, and the Hush Loudly podcast. Our next panelist is Melanie Silas. She's new to our group. Um, Melanie is a public services professional with more than 10 years of experience across the nonprofit, higher education, and government sectors. Currently, Melanie is the vice president of membership and development at Chicago a newly created role for the organization. In her spare time, Melanie enjoys running, baking, and volunteering with her sorority, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. And finally, Michael Segovia. Michael is a senior consultant at the Myers-Briggs Company. He holds a master's degree in clinical psychology, With a specialization in assessment administration and interpretation. Michael provides certification and applications workshops on the MBTI, FIRO B, CPI 60, and strong interest inventory instruments. He has extensive experience working with clients in various industries around the world. So, welcome, panelists. I'd like with Michael. Um, Michael is teaching me to stop saying introvert and extroverts and that it's not just as defined as that and that it's really about a preference. So I'd like for Michael to share his expertise and define introversion, define our personality type. And he'll also be instrumental throughout this. He'll be able to add uh, research and just his knowledge and expertise. So, Michael, can you define introversion for us?
1: Sure, Jerry. Thanks. It's really good to see you again. And hello, everybody. Thanks for having me on today Uh, it is a really good place for us to start with what is introversion what is extroversion these words extroversion introversion they get a lot of play on social media and in so many places and in many cases these words are defined incorrectly and as a result we we misunderstand what they're all about on the myers-briggs type indicator extroversion and introversion are defined in terms of how do we like or prefer to direct and receive energy so it's about energy People who prefer extroversion, they tend to act before thinking. They tend to prefer to take action quickly. They talk things through. They tend to be more expressive when interacting. They gain energy from that interaction and they have a breadth of interest. Whereas people who prefer introversion, they tend to think before acting. So right away you're hearing a difference here. They prefer to spend time in reflection. They think things through. They're more contained when interacting. They gain, gain energy from concentration. And they tend to have more of a depth of interests. I'm hoping you're noticing that extroversion and introversion are not necessarily about sociability or even social confidence. We're not talking about how shy you are. I know people who prefer intuition. I'm sorry, people who prefer introversion who are not shy in the least. In fact, I just met Darius right before we started. And shy would not be a word I would use to describe mm. you, Darius. So there's an example right off the bat. Also, I'm hoping everybody is noticing that I'm talking about, as Jerry just mentioned, having a preference for extroversion or introversion and not being an extrovert or an introvert. When we think about having a preference, it recognizes that we all use both sides and that we need to use both sides to be effective and productive people in work and in life. We just typically prefer one side over the other. Now, in terms of some numbers, I'm guessing some people are interested. I think it's interesting. When it comes to introversion and our most recent data, people who prefer introversion represent 57% of our global sample. That means this panel with you today and many people who prefer introversion who are attending this panel have uh, basically represent the majority, which is maybe something we're not used to or maybe something that we're surprised by. As Jerry mentioned, there's a lot being written right now about this idea of we prefer introversion, and now we're going back into the office. I've come across articles with titles, interesting titles like introverts look look towards the end of quarantine with anxiety, and introverts are dreading the return to normal life after the pandemic. Or how about this one? Meet the introverts who are dreading post-pandemic normal. I did come across a more maybe positive-toned title, which read introverts had an advantage during COVID-19 study finds. Mm-hmm. Now I have to admit a lot of this sounds a bit dramatic and I do wish that these were titled as people with a preference for introversion. I also have to admit though that we need to honor that there's truth in the feelings that we're having with this idea of going back to the office, whatever office that might be. So Jerry, that's my overview of introversion. I have a few ideas to explore today. As we all think about going back into the office, for many of us who we've been away from our offices, for me, it's been over 14 months. I think the last time I took a trip to deliver a training was in March. I flew to to Howard University. That was my last time in my office.
2: Thank
0: you, Michael. You're and welcome. It's, it's interesting to hear that it's 57%. The world would not believe that. The world would not think that. Um, So, thank you for sharing that information and and teaching us about introversion. Um, So, I wanted to start off with a question I just want to pose to the panel. Um, I've conducted just a little unofficial research and um, learned from my peers about how their teams have been just as productive or more productive over these past 15 months. So, introverts or those who prefer introversion, what have you noticed about productivity for yourself and for your team during this time frame? And why do you think you're more or less productive working from home? Who wants to
3: start? I think for me, Jerry, it's been um, I'm I'm an organized person, and so just bringing that sense of organization to my home office, um, similar to what Michael said, I haven't been in my office the same time since March as well, haven't been on a plane since March. And so it definitely required a shift. And I do think our office was ready. We we're already working on laptops, we already had one week or three days a month um, to work remotely across our agency. So we had that policy. And a lot of it has to do with trust. And trusting that people are going to, you know, get their assignments and get the work done that they're going to get done. And so I feel it was, um, you know, just having a sense of organization, working off of lists, working off of calendars, um, trying to create camaraderie within teams by using the Zoom, even though people were Zoomed out. But, you know, let me see you with your cup of coffee. Let's have a work mm-hmm. session over Teams or, you know, or, or Zoom just to kind of create the gathering in the conference room um we tried to do a lot of like happy hours virtual happy hours to continue that sense of uh, teamwork because i work at an agency so it's about the team so i think for me for me it was powerful to just bring that that sense of being organized and being able to work independently but also plug into the team uh to my home okay were you going to say something
4: i was for me it's been bliss um (laughs) And part of that, you know, the challenge for me has been because it is so easy to just get out of bed, walk to the computer. Work-life harmony has been more of a challenge. Where I have to be very, um, not draconian, but very firm about my day ends at 5.15. Step away from the space and keep the workspace in a centralized space. So when I step away from that space, if only symbolically I'm out of it. But from a productivity standpoint, from and I run a foundation, it has been, we've had our best year financially, our best year with engagement. Um, so for for me, for, for my team, I've actually seen enhanced productivity. Uh, and I think part of that is you don't have to deal with traffic camps. You don't have to deal um, with all those those. Small things that by the time you get to the office, you already need your first break of the day. What is missing, and I say this as an introvert, Michael brought the point up earlier, and I've always said to folks who often find it hard to believe I'm, I'm, I prefer introversion. It's always been an energy thing for me. Um, I, 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 my energy is others. I like people, but, but I renew energy. My, my source of energy is introspection, time alone. If it's just sitting here singing to music, but, but so, so a lot of working from home the past year has allowed for those moments where you just go in the corner and plug in. So, so in that regard, I felt like I've been more productive. I've been more engaged in the zoom conversations because I get to step away um, as needed. So my work day is much different than it was a year and a half ago. Um, the days look different. And as soon as I started reminding myself that that was okay, Um, that it doesn't look the same but you can still be as productive if not more so I think that's where it kind of hit my groove well
0: it's funny and and me too I feel like I've been more productive and the commute is part of it so like you said the, the time that you spent to get ready and I don't dress from head to toe, like we do. You know, so I have on leggings right now, and every day at work, I'm, I'm wearing leggings and I look a certain way from, you know. Others. Wait, we're supposed to wear
4: bottoms?
0: <laughs>
4: okay, go on. That's Sorry. That's okay, good. I'm glad. All right. But it's, it's something
0: special about, like you said, rolling out of bed and then, like, I may be cooking my breakfast you know and i'm eating it right before i log on mm-hmm. and the way my day is structured i love how i can even run to the grocery store or run to the post office during my lunch hour and i just am definitely much more productive because at work people always come into the, my office and talk to me i love that people love me and i love them but it's constant distraction and there are all of these things that take you away from producing so not and more productive as as well at, at home, so it's, it's interesting. Uh, did anybody else? I think we're the only ones who are in the office. I think everyone else works
5: for themselves. Uh, Melanie, what about you? Sure. So for me, um, it was really hard at first because I felt like we were having more meetings that could have been an email. So yeah. uh-huh. you know, just that interaction of having to force to talk about everything was really hard. Um, but once that evened out, I actually had more challenges at home. Um, About six months before COVID hit, I moved in with my boyfriend after living alone for 10 years. And he traveled for work. So when he was traveling, it was great because I could still get that break. But once we were together every day, I think that he thought he could talk to me all day during <laughs> the day. He would set his computer up at the table with me. And I would be like, could you not talk to me between nine and five? I think you're great. <laughs> but I can not do this like all day and all night. And I seriously was questioning, you know, whether or not relationships in the same house together were for me. <laughs> but overall it, it, it evened out. And now that he works in the office, I work in the kitchen. We talk at dinner. I love it. I, you know, I think it goes without saying that I would prefer to stay in this environment versus go back to the office.
0: Wow. Okay. And and
5: like everyone, it was an adjustment.
0: It was an adjustment.
5: Um, so the next question
0: is, I just wanted to commend uh, some of those employers who like mine so Melanie and I work together, uh, our employer is allowing for a slow transition back into the office. And so right now it's one day a week and you pick the day, which I think is very generous. And then it'll be reassessed in the fall. And the reason for that is obviously there's still those
2: COVID concerns,
0: you know, Um, But it's, I think, a very thoughtful way to return to the traditional work environment. So, for those who are working in corporations um, and we're usually there five days a week, what are Christina, Darius, what are your organizations uh, saying and doing
3: right now about returning? So, for us, our um, CEO and HR and executive leadership team, we're still evaluating what that looks like. We are probably going to do a hybrid model. Um, where it's like part in the office, um, part at home. I don't know if we'll ever go to like the full on everybody in the office at the same time. Um, But, yeah, and that's not even happening until probably the fall of this year. And, again, it's a decision made based on where are the COVID rates, what are the infection rates. And um, I'm sure it will be, you know, something around, you know, having everyone be vaccinated and making sure everyone's safe with all the the special Mm -hmm. protocol, masks, um, hand sanitizer, hand washing, everything. So, but, you know, in terms of even making the decision, I think we should kind of investigator pick at the history of the forty hour work week and, and where that comes from, why we need forty hour work week, why we need a Monday through Friday. Like let's pick at the history of that. And, you know, I just want to acknowledge, you know, being a black woman, being very blessed to even be in a position to work from home, to have the type of job that allows me to be creative and use my mind and work from home because a good majority of Black women were the frontline workers who were out here doing that work during the pandemic and did not even have that as a choice. So I just want to acknowledge that and just say, you know, I think that we need to really rethink how we work. And Jerry, to your point, the ability to be able to take a break to go to the grocery store, but then yet and still get the assignment done, you would, you know, you're a committed uh, worker. So you're going, if it needs to take till 7pm for you to get it done, but you may start your day at 10, you may start your day at 12. Like, I feel like there needs to be a bit more flexibility. And I think those are some of the key learnings coming out of this pandemic that people can work in different ways.
4: I agree. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I have a unique situation. I, I the foundation, Chicago State Foundation is a standalone 501c3, and I'm the executive director. So the university is, is opening um, with mask requirements that for, for non vaccinated folks, but really fully reopening next month, July, at the top of July. The foundation, however, um, in consultation with my board, I report to the board for the foundation. We will not even begin the conversation of bringing staff back until after Labor Day. And I'm fairly confident um, that even then, it is going to be for the for, for, for perpetuity, a hybrid model. Because prior to the pandemic, I had been for years um, almost carefully insisting on it. Um, I've never done five days. I've not done five days for, for some years now. Yeah. And part of that was the same. Um, as an introvert, I go, I work harder. Um, I'm very clear. And, and once I've earned the trust of my employer, I sat in the meeting once where a boss said, "I expect to see you all." You know, et desk, blah blah blah. Sorry, I'm not talking to you. So <laughs> it, it, seriously, because it just, I will, I will pay the price for that freedom because I need to just have that that personal time. Now that I find myself, this kid from the East Side of Detroit, in a position where I can help to shift that change for an organization as, as its executive director, I'm leaning into it. So even before the pandemic, I would work from home at least one day a week because it was just time to focus and really pop out grants and really meditate and really kind of, when you got the big writing job, you just need to be free. Um, so, so. So for for me at the foundation, this is going to become a way of life. My deputy director and I are having conversations now. What does that look like um, once we get back to Labor Day? Because one of the things I do think is missing, and I'm watching with the employees, team members who have joined us during the pandemic, there is a, a connective tissue that I have with my deputy director, because I remember he right next to my office, standing there, I see him, there's energy. So we have a bond mm-hmm. um, that is deep and it's rich. So there is a value to that in person. Um, and we've been able to, you know, use that equity during the transition, during, the, during um, the time away. But for newer employees, I really do emphasize, because there is something about the, the building culture. There is something about seeing, this is what, when you Pop your head into Doris's office if he looks this way, he's not having a good day. Or you know, or just seeing him come in and go, can I drop an idea by you? Whereas now, in virtual yeah. environment, everything is almost by appointment. Yeah. So, so I know that we will never go to a fully remote. There is a connective tissue that can only be created, I think, with seeing each other, with me walking by Kevin and he goes, "Hey, how you doing?" Um, so, so, so I know that, but we won't have that conversation until post Labor Day.
0: Okay. Thank you for advocating for that, uh, both Darius and Christina, because we do need to question this five-day, 40-hour work week when I think most companies, nobody's working on Friday. You're in the office, but you're not really doing anything. Mm-hmm. And you're looking at the clock. So it's like, you know, there should be some discussion about having some flexibility. I, I appreciate you advocating in that way. Um. So I'm hearing about employer and different employees who are employers who are going back to the traditional 40-hour work week in the office beginning next week. Uh, there are a couple of people I know who are very unhappy about this,
4: um,
0: and they have their concerns about COVID, the commute, and they really believe it is about a lack of trust Mm. more form of control and that leadership feels they need to see people, see bodies, um, not trusting that they've been productive, which they have been. Um, And so I wanted to know, what do you think about this drastic push from zero to four to five days? I mean, we're talking about this great resignation. I wonder if we're going to be seeing more of this over the next few months. What do you think about this drastic push from zero to five days?
2: I think you know, from my perspective, I do a lot of consulting with different organizations, and I've been seeing, I've been hearing a lot of the, of the same concerns from the beginning of the pandemic. Which is like, you know, I would talk to a lot of leaders, and they have questions about, well, how do I know if if they're doing their work, or how do I know what they're working on? It's like, well, how do you know what they're doing or what they're working on when they're in the office? Are you sitting right there next to them watching them work, right? And so, I think there's a lot of issues and concerns that are are unwarranted around productivity and whether or not people are going to become lazy or they're less efficient or somehow the quality of their work has gone down. And I think a lot of that fear is unfounded and there's no real data that supports it. Um, I was looking at a study that Stanford had conducted with over 16,000 workers that showed that productivity went up 77% and that morale went up people were able to essentially design their life with remote work. And I think there's another piece of this conversation and Christina touched on this, which was also not just the idea of remote work, but what will the future of work look like and also uh, flexible work arrangement. So what are the hours that people are working? You know, are we convinced Do you need to work five weeks? Um, I think employers, or some employers are starting to become a little bit more comfortable with the idea. I've seen some organizations reaching out to their people to hear more and learn more and just gather feedback about what their transition process is going to look like to understand more about the fears that employees have around like COVID or, or safety concerns they may have. Or issues around, I've been working for 15 months a particular way and now all of a sudden you want me to go back to doing what we did before. But now I found something that works for me, and it's not that easy for me to just, you know, reset the clock, if you will, to, to just come back into the office like a hundred percent. Some organizations, I think, are also trying to move too fast with it, like going from I'm hundred percent remote to okay, July first, you're back in the office. Mm-hmm. That's a lot for just workers to process. Like, I need I need time to, to figure out my life. You know, and I, <laughs> that's what people are, you know, that's what people are getting at. Um, and I think also, too, depending on what area of the country you're in, um, you know, people are trying to figure out their family situations, too. Like, some people, their, their, um, kids are starting to go back to school or they're going to be going to some sort of summer program and maybe it's like half days and things like that. And so I think there's a lot of issues around, um, for, for from the employee side, it's trying to figure out how do I get this to work for me to go back into the office. on the on the employer side, I think that they need to take some time, take a step back, and, and take a look at the data and, and really get some feedback directly from their team members and their managers to see like are some of these have been founded Like did people's productivity go up during the pandemic? Mm-hmm. You know, looking at what were their accomplishments, um, and also I think that a key piece. Is the infrastructure part? Like when a lot of, a lot of people sent their workers home, they just thought that meant remote work was just a laptop and you work from home. They didn't have any infrastructure in place to support remote work or even a hybrid work uh, option for people. So I think the companies need to take a step back and look at what are they doing to help support their workers and what's feasible and, and try to see where they can make some compromises so that people can have some flexible work options available to them.
4: I think this is a story of what my mom would, my grandmother and my mom and my great-grandmother would say, um, you're going to learn that that meat is greasy. <laughs> you,
6: you could,
4: you know, but, but I'm watching it. it I, you know, I've been hearing these, these rumblings about, you know, I've said to folks, if nothing else, the dual pandemics should prove trust fundamentally that something at its core has not worked. Mm. Um, so while people are like, oh, we're getting back to normal. I didn't particularly enjoy normal, so why would we not take this opportunity? And those of us who um, are introvert leaning, we're deeper thinkers, you know, um, to really push and go. Hey, but, but to your point, can you slow your roll? Because you're you want to move back, but but unless I can afford a nanny, childcare still two days a week, maybe all of that is happening. So, so I think it is for those of us who can, and, and wherever we are, I think you can. I think it is worth continuing to ask the question because I'm watching right now. People are leaving companies. I think companies are realizing they meant it when they said it. People, you know, a a funding partner said to me who works in DEI, she said, here's what I'm telling to our our company, and it's a financial services company, people are coming back different than they were 15 months ago. We are not the same. Mm -hmm. This is a significant event. Um and I've had other business leaders say to me, Well, folks have come and said, Well, now I live in Dallas, I was able to do that remote for the last eighteen months productively for you, but now you won't back. I need to stay here with my family. So I quit. Mm-hmm. Um so I think I, I hope it doesn't come to this, but I think corporate America businesses are going to learn the hard way if they overplay the hand on getting back to some semblance of normal too quickly. I think when you have had a significant, in this case, two significant once-in-a-lifetime a um, pandemics, um, but situations, I'm different than I was 15 months ago. There are things I would have, I I would have gone to 15 months ago where I go, oh, I won't do that now. Mm-hmm. I've watched people lose their life. i watched, you know, mm-hmm. colleagues, friends yet yeah, who were here a week ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though we're saying COVID's over, that's what the media said. Well, I just, Wished mm-hmm. a friend not two weeks ago, please, I hope you make it through and, and get out of the hospital tomorrow with COVID. So, so I think right now they're really, I, I can only do so much, but it ultimately comes down to, I know what my limit is. I'm still a one on on the risk scale. I still wear my mask and I've been that since, fascinated for a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if a company were to ask me to do something that was outside of my comfort zone, again, I can only speak for me. I'm willing to sacrifice that, so I, so I, so I keep my life, and I have a fighting chance for tomorrow. And I think there are a lot of people out there who are going to go, okay, if that is your demand that I come back here, then I don't work. For it. Mm-hmm.
0: I saw some uh, research. Um, University of Chicago published a study, um, and they said that four million people have left their jobs this year, and um, they're citing safety. Salary, they feel undervalued, and they're exhausted. Uh, I was saying, Darius, that I think it's traumatic, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and it said so they were asked, the economists were asked if people were quitting because they were relying on unemployment, and they said half. So half, yes, they're enjoying their unemployment and have no desire to come back to work, but the other half, Their priorities have changed. Their values have changed. Things are different. They don't want to go back to the office. Um, So thank you for that. Um, Anybody else have anything on that? Um, So the next question I wanted to ask, let's get back to introverts. Um, So we've talked about Darius doesn't wear pants. I wear leggings. Um, We are different out of the office. So for the introverts, those who prefer introversion, who we are enjoying and loving our work-from-home environment, what should we advise them to do mentally and emotionally to prepare for their physical return to the office? And then after this, audience, we're going to talk about negotiation. We have some negotiation experts on this panel. But right now, I would love for everybody to just give some advice, some ideas, some tips on how we could prepare mentally, mentally, and emotionally
1: through through to If I could start, I, I think first and foremost, we need to honor our preference for introversion and not apologize for it. And I think sometimes that's what we do. I've been at events where somebody isn't speaking and their partner will say, oh, I'm sorry for, it's all right. The person's probably just in this place of reflection. So some things we can do would be perhaps just modify your workday if you can. See if you can come in earlier where there maybe aren't as many people around and leave earlier. Now, of course, it's not always possible, but maybe you can. Ask if you can work from home for a couple of, a couple of days at least. So it's not five days, 40 hours. I agree. Why do we have to do this 40-hour thing? So can I come in on Tuesday and Thursday instead of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? I think a big one is once we're back in the office, people are going to expect a lot of meetings. Try not to have those back-to-back meetings. Say no. Ask yourself, do I really need to be at that meeting? I, I can tell you uh, there's been times I wonder, why, why am I at this meeting? I don't know if I necessarily need to be here. And then just going back to, again, don't apologize for who you are. Honor your preference. Live that preference. Uh, again, we're the majority anyway, so let's, let's mm-hmm. take over the world. Why not?
5: Yeah, I think to your point, I think my biggest learning is that I want to set better boundaries with my time for being yeah. extroverted you know, being in a relationship-based business, both internally and externally, it's all about developing relationships with people and figuring out how to work with them to get what you need. And so because of that, I find myself in a lot of conversations that I don't necessarily want to be in, but I have to in order to reach a goal. But if I set better boundaries for myself, then I can get my work done and meet some of those needs in a way that isn't so draining.
3: And I would also share if you're fortunate enough to have your own Space in the office, whether it's, you know, you're in Cubeland or hopefully they space the cubes right, or you have your own office, like bring some elements from home to your space to help create it. So in my office, I have always had different lamps. do dimensional lighting in my office so i don't have the fluorescent light beaming down on me because it's an energy sucker um i have plants or flowers you know just to help uplift me keep me going i have my little snacks my tea my water so you know all the the creature comforts of home just bringing them into the office to make to i guess create a level of comfort in your body and to tap into that you know you know, what would help you to feel comfortable um, and ease some of that anxiety when you go back to the office. Mm
4: -hmm.
6: Yeah, I think in addition to what um, Melanie was saying about the boundaries, which I think is huge, and also a little bit what Michael was saying, is think about how you can leverage this strategically to help you in your career. So there are some things that happen more organically and that can benefit you when we are all in the same shared workspace Darius talks about that a little bit like you're more likely to get opportunities to build relationships that people are more likely to like you help you out advocate for you speak your name in rooms where you aren't so think about how you can use that because if if your workplace has a hybrid model and you do choose to do the remote option that's great like no judgment. But be aware that you might have to do a little bit more to remain top of mind for people who are decision makers and power players in your organization. Otherwise, you might find that you keep getting passed over for certain opportunities. And if you're a person of color too, like that applies like triple. Yeah. So that's one thing to be aware of. And then the other thing is like, how could it be beneficial to you? Like, yeah, the pandemic new normal wasn't all that great either. The normal before that was also not great. So, like, I, I've talked to people who their bodies are suffering because of Zoom life. Because we are, you know, the productivity has gone up and it's not necessarily a great thing. Like, 40 hour work week was supposed to be a ceiling, not a floor on what we do. So, um, maybe it's okay if we are less productive. If we're in the workplace, you can put more time into building social capital with people in your office and also, like, Maybe just it'll improve your physical health. So you know it's a complicated issue, um, and I do like to complicate things.
4: So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, love it. <laughs> but you know what, Cynthia, to your to your point, and and Michael, I think we're all coming at it from from different angles, but they're all interrelated. I think even when we got together prior to the pandemic, or just at the start, it really is. Authenticity and a bit of fearlessness, and not seeing like right now, and more and more people are learning and realizing it every day. This is the best time to to be working with an introvert. Like this is like these this past year, like the, just kind of the deep thinking, the the thinking it through, the not knee jerk reaction. Um, so I think for me going back into the state is really taking this as an opportunity because once again, we've had a two major traumas on top of so many others, but two that we all share. We've not been in the same boat, but we've all been in the same storm. So this is the opportunity, if ever there has been one, to walk in and go, today I tell you who I really am. <clears throat> or um, because people are looking for it. 14 months ago, this was Okay. I've had 14 months of changes. I know you have as well. Here's how I'm going to be as I'm getting settled back in. Um, I am friends with folks on this on this line. So it, Christina knows that I am a one. Um, so if you want to have lunch with me or dinner with me or drinks with me, if it's not outdoors, it's not happening. And I'm not looking, I'm not apologetic and I say it like I mean it. And the few times I've been to Michael's point, a little kind of explaining, I'll have a friend like Christina goes, you don't need to explain. Stop. Stop it. So I think, so I think really walking in and, and, and not doing it, keeping it internalized until you're angry because then it comes out ugly. Mm-hmm. But really from the moment you walk in, Hey, good morning. Here's how I like my coffee. Here's how I like to receive energy. I'm still wearing a mask. Uh, and that's that, and 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 that's what we're going to do. And having a conversation with bosses, uh, because somebody said to me, they're not necessarily doing mandate because nobody wants to be seen as horrible. They're mm-hmm. doing peer pressure, Ooh. so because they do not believe that many of us will walk in and go, "Hi there, I'm going to make you say no to this. I need to. I would like to work three days from home, as proven by the past been incredibly productive. All they can say is no." But if you don't ask the question and stand your ground, we're just going to be drained and exhausted and frustrated. I, I keep saying to you, "I'm going to give you. I'm going to make you say no until you say yes." Mm-hmm. But you're not going to make me play games against myself after two pandemics. I'm literally going to come in and say, "Hey, to continue to be productive for you in this business relationship, because that's what ultimately it is." Here are the things I'd like you to consider, um, and I think we should be able to do that because we've been two pandemics that's changed everything.
1: And and Darius, that peer pressure is real. I I had an eye appointment a couple of of months back and my optometrist walked in and he said, oh, I understand you're vaccinated. I am too. Do you mind if I take off my mask? Or no, he said, I'm going to take off my mask. And I said, well, actually, I'd rather you kept your mask on. And the look I got from him was just, but I had to stand up for that's what I'm comfortable with, which is hard to do sometimes.
4: Yes. No, that's a good point. Yeah. I've had it with drivers. I've had it with repair folks coming into my home. Um, and someone like, they will make the decision for me, you're vaccinated. And I'm literally this morning with the repair crew. I'm like, but not in this house. Um, Mm -hmm. I've probably been vaccinated longer than you have, but we're going to keep our masks on. Mm -hmm. Um, but to your point, Michael, say it like you mean it. Um, and I, I, what I've also come to in these past 15 months, I'm going to stop taking on other people's, um, challenges. Um, it is not my job to feel your annoyance by me wanting to protect my life. <laughs> or me making choices for my grown 53 year old self. Um, so, so, but it's hard. But to Michael's point, because I've done it, I've done it with drivers, um, uh, Uber drivers, people coming into my own home, making decisions for us. Uh, and you, the more you do it though, the easier it becomes. Mm-hmm. So, so that's all I can say. We just, we know better, we gotta do better. Um, and, and, and we have it in us, but it won't be easy. But that's not your problem to feel their pain.
2: Well, that's such a good point. I mean, I think being prepared to reassert yourself in is really important. And I think that sometimes we
3: can falter. Like we'll we'll be real brave the first time. Yes. <laughs> have
2: a little bit of pushback. We're like, all right,
4: bye. all right, fine, you can <laughs> touch me. I was just
2: kidding.
3: Um,
2: and so you know, I think the importance of. Being able and feeling comfortable in your body, so I think that starts with you just feeling comfortable in your body and the mindset of like, no, I'm going to reassert myself because that's just another piece of that self advocacy component, which is so important for us. Yeah. Um, but also, I think for introverts who have a um, more of a preference for introversion, I mean, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> Look at us <this> growing.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Learning every day, right? Yes. Yeah. Um. But no, I think for us, pacing ourselves, and one of the things I think is really important for us to do is to use your calendar as a tool. Like protect your calendar. If I like to work in blocks of time, so I will go in and there are literally just blocks of time there. I want to work every day from ten to twelve. I don't want any meetings, so I will block that time off for myself. Uh, And even you know, I would say also making sure you know that you're putting some buffer in between meeting so that you're not just getting hit with back-to-back meetings. Mm -hmm. And also what you'll find is if if folks can't find any room on your calendar, then they're forced to email you. And then that's when you can kind of investigate and start asking questions about, you know, okay, what's the purpose of this meeting? You know, what's the outcome? What are you looking for? To to better understand what you can contribute to the meeting and if you even need to be there. Yeah, And
4: I think also it's good. This is is always to have not just mentors and, and thought partners, but sponsors. You know, you've all met that my deputy director um, continues to manage my calendar and will continue to do it because he gets me and he's one of my staunchest advocates. He literally knows how to build it. If I have an event coming, he knows. to. So, so as many advocates, and that's why we have to be honest about who we are, because we're we're supportive people, and if you tell people who you are, your colleagues, your peers, your higher ups, even your bosses, might go, "No, no, no, we don't need to invite Jerry into the tenth meeting. That's not Jerry. That's not Jerry sense Do you really need her in this room?" So I think sometimes the power that comes with being introverted, uh, introvert leaning, a preferred introvert preference for <laughs> um, <laughs> there is, and I think right now as, as we're coming. As we evolve from this pandemic to whatever the next phase is, there is a value we bring by being ourselves, and I think it's good for a company overall, because it really goes, hey, take a minute, let's think it out. Um, so I think we we bring inherent value if we just tap into it and lead by our own example. We bring so much value at the, as, as we are trying to find our way back to, to this together, because we're not major people. Um, so if we walk in to Kenny's point and reassure, even if it's painful, um, and do that, other folks go, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't just give in the peer pressure. I don't really want to do six days a week either. Um, mm-hmm. So so I think there's value. Everybody brings something unique to the table. And I think for me, my introvert leaning really is I'm not the run running to the default position. Oh, let's get back to normal as quick as possible. First of all, show your role. What was normal? And did it work because two pandemics then again. So I think there's value that each of us bring to the room, and there's people respect everyone around, uh, around this group right here. So I think there is an accountability on our part as well to truly lean into our introversion or introvert-leaning selves because I think we bring value that extroverts, who we think would be the first ones to go, I don't want to do this. I think sometimes it's introverts who have the, the, the courage to go, no, because this taps into energy. So I think there is there is value. we want to be of service, be servant leadership. Um, part of my value proposition is my introvert. Mm-hmm.
0: And and I think that what we're all saying is to know yourself and and know what you need and manage your calendar and manage your manage up and down that way. Um, something that Kenny said is what I do. I work best during certain blocks of time, and I need time to recharge. Don't put a meeting on 10, 11, 12, 1. You're not going to get the best Jerry. Uh, I need to have time to recharge, and that could be just going to get the mail. It could be going to take the garbage out, going out to get a little sunshine, which I love here at home. But back in the office... You know, I've learned how, yes, I will block time or I'm unavailable and no one knows what I'm doing. I'm working, but I'm unavailable to do three or four back-to-back meetings because you're not going to get the best of me. I'm not going to be the most creative because I'm going to be drained. So everybody also needs to remember that and think about how you work best. Um, So now I want to talk about negotiation. So we've got HR first. We've got some people on here who can negotiate you in and out of anything. So I want to talk about what strategies. Uh, so we've been talking about going to our employers and, and having a conversation about flexible work environment. So give us some strategies. How do we ask for this without sounding like we're lazy or that we don't want to be there or we're not a team player? How do we do this to negotiate a work-through-home schedule? And I'd love to hear from Cynthia Kinney, Uh, Christina, the PR doctor, the spin doctor,
6: and anybody else on any ideas for this? Mm -hmm. So Darius actually did a great example of this not long ago, but... Basically, you want to get whoever you're talking to into a problem-solving mode with you. So it doesn't have to be an antagonistic. You're not like preparing for a battle; it's not going to end well. Um, first thing I think that you should think about, and what I tell my clients and has helped them negotiate raises of up to sixty-seven percent, double the equity, promotions, whatever, is think about what matters to the person you're talking about. It's, I mean. Uh, like, Christina, probably from a PR perspective, you got to know your audience. This is what they care about, right? Mm-hmm. If they do care about productivity, frame what you're going to say in terms of productivity. If they care about optics or blowback on them from their higher up, think about that and frame whatever you're going to say in terms of that so it will help them or it shows that you at least thought about it from that perspective. Um, so that's something that just as a baseline, I recommend people think about strategically. And then like, when you are saying what it is, like you can put things very neutrally, like, okay, let's say you're, you've got too many meetings on your calendar for tomorrow. You'd be like, okay, well, you know, Jerry, I can do two of these meetings. So like, what can we do about the other three? You know, like very control not antagonistic or not anything. It's not blamey of anyone. There's like no judgment there. It's just asking a question. And so the thing I did, the technique I did there was to frame it in terms of what, like what can we do? You can also say like, I don't know what I need to do in order to X, Y, Z. You can also use a how statement or a question. So like, how can we solve this problem? Like, how can we make sure that um, the work moves forward? And also I am able to do my best work. You know, basically doing that um, is key and what I tell my clients to do, to think about negotiation in a problem-solving generative way, not like a fight.
2: No, that's great advice, Cynthia. Um, I think also, too, it's really important before going into your negotiation is it starts, it starts in here. It starts in your mind. So we kind of have to leave on the table this idea that just because we're asking for what we need, that we're self-advocating, that somehow, um, you know, by asking for what we need, that makes us less, or maybe we might be perceived as lazy or not as committed or disengaged from our work. And I know why a lot of us have this idea in our head because of, of different types of work culture and experiences, but we have to get that out of our head and throw it out of the window, first and foremost. Um, But I think when you're negotiating for things like flexible work arrangements or remote work, you need to go into that negotiation prepared. So you need to have some options that you've come up with to present. You need to have, you know, I always tell people I have like three different options. Like maybe you have, okay, I want remote work. I want to work 100% remote for forever. Or I want to work 100% for, you know, a specified period of time. Or have a hybrid option. Or then your last option might be, I want to work one day of, of my choosing out of the week. And then what also you want to do is get some data, get some research done. That's something that we excel at as as, as folks who have a tendency towards introversion. Go ahead and outline what the benefits are and what are the cost savings that's associated with working remotely. Um, Make it less about what you want and more about what you need to be successful in your role. And then map those needs to the success of the organization. Because if you're talking to your manager, if you're talking to someone who's ultimately going to make this decision, you want to be able to show them how they're also going to benefit from you working remote. Um, And if you can provide, I think, like concrete examples, because we've actually have been working for 15 months at this point remotely. We now have actual real life experience that we can point to, which we may not have been able to do before. So providing like concrete examples of how we work productive and what those results are, I think is really helpful. Um, If you're going to have this conversation, as tempting as it might be to do it you know, through email or IM. Don't email or IM. You're negotiating so you need to do it in person or you need to at least get on Zoom and have something scheduled with your manager to talk about this so that they understand that this is like a formal request. Um, and then also be prepared to discuss things like how are you going to manage relationships? How are you going to stay connected to your team while you're working remote? especially if you have team members that are going to be in the office and maybe you might be the only one that's out of the office or maybe there's just a few of you so be prepared to talk about that um scheduling like a one-on-one with your manager once a week you know proposing that as an idea so that they can stay in touch with what you're doing how you're working um coming in maybe for like all hands meetings and things like that so that you can still have that team connectedness that they may be missing or that you would actually benefit from as well um, and then after you've done all that, put it in writing. Like, don't just go and talk about it. Make a proposal with those things I've just outlined. And then recap the conversation that you've had with your manager. And if they say no or if it's stalls, I would definitely encourage you to try again maybe a couple of months later. And if that doesn't work and you find that remote work is something that's really important to you and important to the success in your career, then continue looking for a job but just look
3: for a remote one. Yeah. And and Cynthia and Kenny, I mean, you guys summed it up really well. The only PR lens I would apply to this is painting the story. So having all those proof points around, you know, why you should be be allowed to do this, but then also anticipating the pushback and what the questions, knowing the person who you're talking to. So um, we did not always have remote work at the agency, and it came to a point where one person was being hired and they were coming from a corporation who did have remote work, and they proposed it for themselves, and it was going to be something just granted to them. And it was like, well, we should probably consider a policy for the whole agency so everyone can for this option and, and see what that looks like. But, you know, had that conversation not taken place, we may not have been positioned in a way for others to have um, remote work. So just and, just, and and the, the, the pushback was, well, is the person really going to be working? Um, are you going to be still in Chicago? Are you going to be accessible for meetings? Like anticipate all that, like the Q&A we do in PR when we're in managing an issue. Like create your Q&A document so you have all your responses prepared um, to, to, to have an exchange or, you know, uh, answer their questions.
1: I, I agree with that idea of being prepared and anticipating, especially for those of us who prefer introversion, when it comes to negotiation, I'm, I'm brilliant two days later where I think, oh, I should have said it, oh, I should have said oh, it, experience that I know. So think about what will be said, write it out, really think it through so that in the moment you'll look like, wow, you just said that off the cuff. We didn't. It's something that we thought about. Yeah.
0: Uh, I want to remind our audience, if you have any questions, please email foundation at csu.edu and we'd be happy to answer them. And so back on the negotiation, um, great um, ideas. Uh, but what if you get rejected? What if you, if they say no, and how do you um, pleasantly return to work, return to the office, um, if you can't resign, anything um, other than trying again in a couple months, anything else to help us feel better once we've been rejected?
2: I think everyone on the panel touched on this on some, at some point on self-advocacy. And I think right now I'm, I'm seeing a lot of companies at least be interested in what your employees have to say, and so they're taking feedback more seriously more so than at any other point in time I can think of in my career. So I would encourage someone who had the remote option rejected to advocate for better working conditions, And that can mean things like hmm. you're reimagining collaboration. We picked up some new tools and skills while we were out working remote. We said we have to dump all those ways of working just because we're going back into the office. Um, everything from meeting facilitation to Office design because I can't take any more open spaces. I just can't. <laughs> so, um, that's, in terms of advocating for those types of things that will at least make the work experience more pleasant for us, I think is something that
3: allows us to be an active participant and, and at least
2: improve it while we're there. Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, at least do away with the open spaces or those companies that have, when you come in, you're at a different desk. Like, stop that. Like, and yeah. dead, dead that. Cause I, I couldn't even, I, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine.
4: And I'll give you the real answer as someone who has has, has, has had the, the, the white collar and blue collar, the balances along the way in career. Um, if the answer is no, then it comes back to what? Michael, and and all of us that talked about earlier, then if if you want to do this, then we're going to do it honoring me. That means when I say to you, stick to speak, I mean it. Mm -hmm. Because, so and and it's not anger. so When you ask the question, Jerry, the first thing I said in my mind, pray and meditate. That was the Mm -hmm. first, and and, and and I was like, that's not a joke. That really is, because what just happened here was that you put yourself out, you talk about something that is fundamentally important, um, it is traumatic, and they said to you, no. I don't know about you all, but I have not done enough emotional intelligence work. Emotional intelligence work. Where well, I don't take that as an affront, especially as I'm still watching people lose their lives over this.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, so I think the first step, because I don't want to be here and be precious, there are some folks we have to go back. It, we can go in there. So so if that is the case, then I have a right, though, of the agency. I have full agency. So I say pray and meditate because you're going to have to constantly remind folks. You're going to want to do it in a way that doesn't make you be the angry this or the angry that. But really, you're going to have to. Promote. So so by about the second week, they're on autopilot where they go, no, you need to check with Darius, even if he sits at the cube. He's still very concerned. And he shared with me in a in a in a vulnerable but controlled way why he's concerned. So I'm out protecting him as well now because he's forced to be back here, but he has some deep concerns, you guys. So you don't want to be the, the victim, but I think the more honest I can be and the more I can just hold my ground. If you're gonna force me to do this, then we are then it is my my responsibility. Melanie said something to me recently. We were talking just to start partnering, because uh, we work in similar fields. And she said, well, you know, at that point, then it's just your fault. And it's almost like, if you know better, then you have to do better only for your sake. So I think that's that's what I would say here. It's never going to be perfect, but you've got to be with thought, meditation, whatever it is that you do to center yourself and to take the emotion out of it and go in and go, okay, if I have to do this, how do I do this in the way that honors me, keeps me safe, keeps me sane? Um, and healthy physically and emotionally until I can get out of here. It's unsustainable, but you got to go to work to market the check is due. So I would say, I would say for me, that would be the advice I give. And then, but, but constantly look um, to, to get out of that situation. It's not sustainable. Yeah.
1: I'd also add to that. I know because we prefer introversion, we tend to spend so much time reflecting on things. Mm-hmm. And as a result, we can sometimes, I know I can make them worse than they are. So one thing we might want to do is if you have an EAP program, an employee assistance program at your organization, book an appointment with a counselor to really talk out your issues instead of staying in our heads. I know if I stay in my head too long, it's the worst thing ever. Sometimes it is, but so talking to someone is I think a good thing we can do to flex those of a, those of us who prefer introversion.
4: And, and it's funny, as you were talking, I'm looking at Kenny's face and and, Kenny, you are having a reaction. <laughs> I want to hear you.
2: <laughs> um, no, no, no. Um, no, I was, I was thinking um, because I think um, Michael touched on a really good point. I don't know, I don't know how successful someone might be at doing this, but I think it's also important to remember because we are still in the middle of a pandemic and people went through a lot and are going through or have gone through a lot of trauma, And people are experiencing heightened levels of anxiety. For folks that may be living with a disability that puts limits um, on your daily activities, you may qualify as having a disability under the ATA, meaning that you might be able to make a reasonable accommodation with that. For example, if you find that you have anxiety, that you're living with anxiety disorder, Mm -hmm. which is an example. So that's something to Think about and consider if you meet those conditions and if that's something, um, you know, that you would want to consider in terms of having maybe teleworking as an option um, for a reasonable accommodation. It's a little touchy. Um, I don't know exactly how successful other folks have been with this, but it's something that might be worth trying for, for someone who finds a successful situation. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we
0: have a a last question and then we're going to open it up to the audience questions, but I wanted to talk about, and this just happened to me today. Uh, I was talking to a new employee who talked about how she's so social and she can't wait to be together and she's ready for everyone to be in the office. And so she heard that we're only there one day a week, but she's going to come two or three days. And I was like, Oh boy, great. And so my point is not everyone enjoys the remote work. And so there will be those who cannot wait to get in the office. They are pumped. They are on hand. They are 100. And they are looking forward to catching up and reconnecting and planning and socializing and hanging out and catching up on everything, catching you up to everything they've experienced over the last 15 months. So I know we've already talked about boundaries, but I'd like for everyone, what advice can we give to those who prefer introversion to protect our energy uh, and to manage our overzealous colleagues that are in the office? So they are entitled to that, but we are entitled to what we are entitled to. So how do we manage that?
5: I have some good and bad habits. <laughs> I have an office, so I'm probably going to close the door more.
3: yeah
5: Yeah. (laughs) but some good habits is to schedule time to be extroverted you know maybe I'll do lunch more socially instead of bringing I'll go by or you know try to make some time to connect with people that I know like to talk and chit chat a little bit more than I do during the work day but if I can schedule it you know then I can mentally prepare for it and it won't be you know as draining
6: I think that's related to the boundaries, but yeah, um, if you have a routine that you can sort of adopt, that would help what I think Darius and others have said about training people how to best work with you. Mm -hmm. It'll be easier for other people to realize, oh, like Melanie does this at this time. And then after that, Melanie does this. And then, you know, like it'll help them understand how to work with you. And so, yeah, we have to be a little bit patient and, Recognize that not everybody has our preferences, and that's okay. Um, but I, I would give some thought to, is there a routine you can craft for yourself that both maximizes how you like to work, makes it most pleasant for you, also like helps you do the best work, and then have some concessions so that you can still connect with people? Cause yeah, that could benefit you, too.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, There's no better time for people to learn about others, so I'll just plug, invite people to take the Myers-Briggs and have team-building sessions where we get to see, oh, you prefer extroversion, I prefer introversion, That's this is what you need, this is what I need. Let's then work on a balance so we each honor what each other needs. Why not? And so, and so the, um,
0: Michael, I've taken three or four Myers-Briggs, everyone has not, many are familiar, Tell us about Myers-Briggs and what you're talking about, the team and about building and all of
1: that that you do. Sure. Yeah. So so the Myers-Briggs type indicator is the assessment that helps us understand our preferences, not skills or abilities, just what are our preferences around how we take in, how we direct our energy. That's extroversion and introversion. How we take in information, the kind of information we trust, that's. Sensing and intuition, how we make our decisions, how we prefer to make our decisions—that's thinking and feeling. And then we, how how do we organize our external world? That's judging and perceiving. And from that, you get a four letter type that represents some ways of who you are. Certainly not every way, but some ways in terms of what energizes you and what doesn't. And it can really help you see. Oh, my preferences, for example, are INFP, and my partner's preferences are ISFJ. So we both prefer introversion. However, we take in information in a very different way to the point that when I use my intuition, which is about big picture possibilities, I can see his eyes glazing over and he's wondering, what are you talking about? He needs specifics and details and he needs them in order. And when I jump all over the place, it really annoys him. So just understanding those differences can really help us understand how to honor each other's preferences. Uh, so much more than maybe we naturally. It's
4: interesting were. that you say that because it was when I did my first Myers Briggs, um, mm-hmm. and, and subsequent, I believe I'm an INTJ, hmm. and, okay. and even doing that makes you think about those letters really do interact differently, and exactly. it starts to give you more. Um, so we find even where I am now, um, even with our student scholars, we're talking about doing these sorts of assessments. So they're empowered with that now because there really is a way that, that folks with those other letters like to receive information. So I, I want to be cognizant of how they receive it. Um, you know, I'm very anal. I'm very, I, you, you can't be all over the place with me. I need to be able to follow the ball. Um, but knowing that there's nothing wrong with, with Michael or anyone else who's that way, that's a person that, that those are types of people. Um, then you don't see it as so much a, of a burden as, that's different. How do we work together? Um, mm-hmm. So so I, I've always, I think I took the Myers-Briggs in my late 20s for the first mm-hmm. time, and it hit me then, I wish they had done this much earlier, because it, it empowers cares. you with information. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: I, I felt the same way. I took my first one at a company in my twenties, and it was it was life changing
2: for yeah. me. It's uh,
0: empowering in, in many ways, and I was like, "What?" and and to find out that what I thought was weird or different and only me is many people just like me, and then I just felt more like you said empowered because I helped. It, I relied on my strength, and maybe, Michael, if we have time. I'd love for you to just go down the list of what our strengths are and maybe some of our challenges.
1: (laughs) I could go all day. I could definitely, yeah, for sure. And one important point I want to bring up very briefly is if we bring in an assessment like the Myers-Briggs, it it should always be an invitation. It should never be a requirement. Nobody in any setting should ever be required to take this assessment. Mm -hmm. It should be part of something I want to do instead.
3: So I think
0: at the end, maybe in our last five minutes, um, we'd like Michael to just shower us with all of the attributes, all that good stuff that we need to hear because it's so empowering and so many who prefer introversion are not really understanding at the depth. If they need to um, and, and oh. doing themselves in the way that they should, so we want you to do that at the end.
4: So Michael's uh, going to tell us how pretty we are.
0: Yes. Okay. Wonderful. Yes.
4: Love that part.
0: Yes. And so I want to get to our first audience question uh, from Stephanie. She said, "In the office, there are so many pop-ins. Uh, how do you center yourself and steady nerves when people demand an immediate answer?" I know for me, um, in a meeting or when I'm demanded to give an answer right away, I easily say, "I need process. I want to give you the best answer that I can. We can really think about this. So let me process." And people will leave you alone. They they respect that. Um, and in terms of popping, people popping in my office. Fortunately, I have an office. So like Melanie said, you can close the door. You can be unavailable. You can crack the door. And you're into something else at, at the moment, um, so those are my responses for Stephanie.
4: You know someone else who I work with um, on this on this line, so I won't name names because Melanie wouldn't like them to do that. Um, but Melanie used to, um, I believe, it, before she moved to offices, there was a queue, and yes. she put up a note on deadline. Shoot me an email, and I'll circle back to you.
5: Brilliant. But you know, yeah, and it was, and I actually
4: started doing. The same thing, even with my office door, because people don't feel so insulted, they go, Oh, forget it. Yeah. No. But really? yeah, Melanie used to do that, and it was brilliant. And and I, I literally will watch and go, You've made an invisible wall with a door that people <laughs> are honoring. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> I think the classic pop-in is somebody sends an email and two minutes later they walk in your office and ask, did you get my email? Oh
0: my God. <laughs>
1: I've learned to say, I got the email. Let me think about it. And how about if I get back to you later today at two? Now, a bad habit I used to have was I would get back to the person at five when I knew they'd left the building and left, and I'd leave them a message. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. We call that using our type as an excuse and we want to make sure we also honor people who prefer extroverts and need more face to face time from us.
2: Hmm. I think also too, if we have a if you have like a Slack or well, team, lots there's, there's a little visual indicator on there. Even if you're in the office, so you can put yourself on do not disturb. Yeah. Not that everybody's gonna respect it, but <laughs> people do they see that do not disturb on, they may think nice about walking over to your desk to have a conversation with a conversation.
0: Great. Um, What tips or tricks do you have for making in-person meetings more engaging and productive for my staff members who prefer introverts? Thank you for being thoughtful, whoever asked that question. I love that you're trying to be more inclusive. So they're asking how do they make in-person meetings more engaging and and productive for their introverted folks?
4: I, ha- I would. I have a recommendation. Start with a real agenda. Yeah. That's been oh my curated. god! Yeah, yeah. And, and, and maybe have one of those act- one of those agenda items be actual action items. Mm-hmm. So us introverts walk in and we look at that. And we go, "Is there a shot that my hour here won't be raised- wasted?" And the best way to say it might not be is with action items.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I can't.
4: just had a feeling.
2: Yeah. I did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and send the agenda ahead of time. Don't oh, okay. oh, send it to me the day before I can wow. look at it, write some notes down. Oh, okay. And let's say uh, Christina says something I want to say. I cross it off because I don't necessarily need to repeat it, but if it hasn't been said, I've had the time to think about it and you're going to get my best stuff.
4: And again, that. I get to prepare my spirit because I always say this to my teens, You'll have to forgive me because sometimes I want to get my first best response. And in order to do that, I need to have room to process, I need to get the information early. As a practice in my business, I don't answer calls. I return messages. Because what I don't want to do is ever risk not giving my first best response. I may turn return that message in ten minutes, but that's a part of it. so when you send me the agenda, I won't in the room have a reaction that I have to call back. Um, so so that's all introverts if you just give me time. To, to prepare, and then time to process, I can really be a great team player.
3: And for, for me, being in the creative space, we do a lot of brainstorm conversations and brainstorm meetings. And it is me knowing my team well enough to know those who are introverted, to maybe ask them questions before we get into the brainstorm, right. so that when we're in the meeting, And I, they're not speaking up. We've talked about it so then I can throw a question to them so that they can express to me what they, what they need to express. And then also, like when there are larger meetings, like bigger meetings with across our agency, I do the same thing. I say, you know, can I ask you this during the meeting just so they don't get, you know, like clammed up or don't want to respond just to get them, you know, ready. And this is where, Being in person does help is because you can do eye contact, you can see somebody's body language, so they might be leaning in and they're waiting on you to to, to call on them or ask their perspective of something. And so I'm very in tune to that in in an in-person meeting for sure.
6: I don't know if this is specific to... People who prefer introverted or not might simply be running a good meeting. (laughs) In addition to the agenda, we make sure it's timed. It's (sighs) like, and we try to keep it moving. That part, that part right right there. Oh my God. When a meeting ends early, I'm so grateful. I love everybody in the room. I love everyone.
2: (laughs) And if you have something that you need their feedback on, Send it to them the day before, so they're actually prepared to give you feedback during the meeting.
4: Yeah, yeah. Stop making stop making meetings performative. Yeah. yeah. Um. That that that. Is, yeah. Introvert see right through it. Yeah. And we do, and I don't know. If I can always speak for me. I do not respond well. You know that meme? There's a meme of Viola Davis with the beautiful Bob, um, where she gets up with her purse because it was a meeting that should never have happened, and she discussed it <laughs> That's me. <laughs>
1: No. <laughs> Susan Cain has a, has a great line mm-hmm. in her TED talk. Uh, people think that the person who says the most knows the most mm-hmm. and it's not true. It's right. just, you just haven't given us that time to reflect on it. And we can tell you how much we know if you give us that time.
0: Yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting also in meetings, there are people who love to talk just to hear themselves talk. <laughs> and so they will overpower and take over the meeting but it doesn't mean that your introverted person doesn't have anything to say or doesn't know the answer. You know, they're just not going to fight with that. That's not important with them. So if you want to talk, I'm going to let you talk. And then usually what works for me is one-on-ones. I think that we really power through and do well in one on one But I think you've gotten some great advice uh, for your team um, from this Uh Another question is, I'm worried about the great resignation from a managerial perspective. I prefer introversion and find myself drained by difficult or contentious contentious conversations, but I want to best support my team and my direct support. How should I approach these conversations?
4: With that level of honesty, I'd love to work with that manager. Mm-hmm. That you're even asking. I think... Look, we may not come up to a perfect answer, but if I have a manager who would say that to me, look, I know this is a difficult time. Let's talk this through. There may not be a perfect answer, but the fact is, that I appreciate that question. And we managers, um, it happens to me as an employee. I'm feeling shit. The superfly, where people, there's movement happening. Who's who's a runner? Who's about to leave? I think the best thing you can do is just the way you frame that question right there, that honesty with your team. I will go into battle for a a boss who may not have offers, but at least will show me that leadership enough to go, what am I missing? How do we get through this together? Um, Cynthia said it earlier. Um, it's even that as a manager. Now you, it's a part of your negotiation. It's a part of your, how do we make this work? What do we need? I can't give you this, but, but we can do this. So I think that, like, just that question right there—that concern—that is a manager who I would, like, I would want to work with That manager.
1: I wonder too if there's another preference at play. So you know, it could be some extroversion, introversion. I wonder if there's some thinking and feeling involved as well. Because, Darius, you prefer thinking, and people with that preference tend to maybe they, they like maybe a bit more contention. they like more challenge worse versus people who prefer feeling. I do. We tend to take it really personal. It's really mm-hmm. difficult for us. And so it might be, Oh no, I have to go back into that setting and people are going to attack me. They're likely not, but that's how it can feel for those yeah. of us who prefer feeling.
4: Yeah, And if you feel that there's nothing anyone, you know, I, yeah. I have been told, <laughs> um, the thinker in me, I've been told I'm a catastrophizer. I'm a catastrophizer. Uh-huh. recovery. I've said this before. Yeah. Um, my brain, what I can do in here, the scenarios I can create and so it, it, sometimes even that thinking is just as dangerous as feeling. I have created scenarios, Michael, where I have been attacked. Um they've taken me out to the, to the to the to the to the big field and all the other employees have watched. And then I get there the next day and my boss goes, Oh no, we're good. I understand your point. I'm like, i have spent a weekend <laughs> wasting my time worrying about this crap.
1: <laughs> and that's some of your intuition, by the way, with thinking when people who prefer thinking might rush to judgment too soon, and that's what could be coming up for you there. Yeah.
3: I mean, I, and take take a breath. Take a yeah. moment Ooh, to breathe. breathe in deep. If that helps to bring down that anxiety and that heightened emotion around having difficult conversations and just coming down from it and just step away from it. Do that thinking, do that, you know, cuss out the pillow, like whatever you need to do, (laughs) and then, you know, come back to, to having the conversation. I, you know, that is something that I have had to, to work through with my direct reports in terms of, you know, they're they're complaining about their work. Well, they're complaining about this. They're complaining about that. And I'm just like, uh, yeah, me too, G. But we're all in this together. And, um, you know, it will be all right. And so just really using the strategies that you use to kind of settle yourself and calm yourself and self-soothe to, to then, you know, be able to be prepared for those conversations.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And so Kevin is telling me we only have a a little bit of time left. So I'd love for Michael to tell us a little bit about us, give us a couple minutes, and then we'll close out.
1: Wow. So we're looking at introversion. Of course, I'd love to go further and and hear each of your four-letter types if you know them. Because all of us, while we identify as having a preference for introversion, all of us also have an extroverted side. And that's really why we're not extroverts or introverts. So Darius shared he likely has preferences for INTJ. So while he introverts his intuition, he extroverts his thinking. And by the way, I'm using introvert and extrovert there as a verb because you know I don't believe in it as a noun. In terms of what those of us who prefer introversion bring to the table, and this has come up during our, our, our panel today, we spend time reflecting. So what you get from us is more of a final answer which is it's an invaluable gift if you give us that time to reflect. Now, we can talk off the cuff. However, we might do that. And as I said earlier, tomorrow we're going to think, oh, I should have said this instead. And there's where you're going to get my best stuff. I've been lucky. I work at the Myers-Briggs company. I've been at the Myers-Briggs company for, I'll be going on 33 years this coming May. Mm-hmm. A company that values and appreciates differences. And I remember having a boss who had the exact, opposite preferences of mine who knew how to flex to what I needed. So he knew he called me one day and said, I have important news I want to share with you. I'm going to share it. Feel free to respond now. However, tomorrow I'm going to set up an appointment where we can talk for another two hours. And I remember even thinking, I I have enough info. I, I, this is enough. He said, no, I'm still going to schedule that time. And so the next day we had that time and that's where all my great stuff comes up. So my hope for all of us, not just our panel, all of us who prefer introversion, ask for that time because that's when people will truly get the power of what we can offer if we get that time to reflect, to process. Also, I would one final thing I would recommend, don't let our preferences limit us. So we prefer introversion. Guess what? There are times we need to flex into that extroverted side to be productive real people in, in the world. We we talk about our preferences as living in our favorite room. My favorite room is INFP. There are sixteen types though. Consider living in or at least visiting all those other rooms to really fulfill and develop the people that we think I think we're meant to be. Hopefully that's enough. Again I can go on and on. I don't want to overstep my time though. Okay. I think we
0: we'll have to I think this is the end. I'm not saying anything else from Kevin, but I'm looking at the time. That is all that we have for this evening. Those who prefer introversion, stay strong, my brothers and sisters. Uh, You can do anything. Don't let anyone tell you that you can't. Uh, In my humble opinion, I think we're better. I think we're more flexible. <laughs> I think that we do more bending and stretching to fit into this extrovert rewarding world. So I think we're better prepared. So if we didn't answer your questions, uh, all of these folks are on LinkedIn. They're lovely people. You can reach out to them. Um, you can email me at jd at hushloudly.com and I'll share your questions with the panel and we'll come up with an answer for you. Um, Please consider donating to Chicago State Foundation. It's a wonderful university in Chicago on the south side. I used to work there. Darius works there. Christina is on the board. So it's a very important institution in Chicago. Thank you to Darius, Kevin, Jason, uh, Blair, uh, Chicago State Foundation. And thank you to Christina, Cynthia, Ken, Kenny, Melanie, Michael for your expertise and advice this this evening. We'll see you again soon. I'm Jerry Bingham, host of the Hush Loudly Podcast. Check out my podcast, Hush Loudly and Christina's podcast, First Over 40, Anywhere Podcast Can Be found. Thank you and have a good evening.
3: Good night.